Hey, Murdoch, I just started reading The Shepherd. Stop. Shepherd, that's not on the index page. So just no further. Get out of here with that stuff. All right, welcome to your church friends podcast. I'm Chris. I'm Mirdlach. And it's just us too. It is. Yeah, we don't we don't have our third man for the shepherd of Hermos anymore. He built on us on the most important part. Can't believe it. Yeah. The parables. Yeah. And I kinda get it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like we were talking about before, they're understandable, but especially that ninth one just goes on for that is a long read yeah i feel like that's longer than a lot of the books that we did for the forgotten books yeah 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 that's up there with like enoch alone yeah yeah it's it's a long very descriptive we'll get into that one and when we cover it but yeah just a very long descriptive thing um the other thing is we're recording in my house so there's gonna be a lot of background noise chickens helicopters wind chimes neighbors using tools so It'll be there. I don't know. We, we've talked about where we are mm-hmm. geographically located, right? Yeah. That would have been a fun game of like, <laughs> based on the noises. What city are we located in or yeah. county or area? Yeah. Yeah. But we know that already. Yeah. Well, spoiled that game. All right. Let's get into this because it is a lot. Yeah. All right. So it's uh, the, the final end. The shepherd has given him the mandates and the commands and uh, now he gets into... Uh, 10 parables, um, which as I read through them, I found them interesting because some of them don't really come across as parables, really. Um, more of like visiony, like yeah. they're, they're crossed between vision, parable at times, uh, because he's seen things and then talking about them. Uh, where like I think of parables, I think more of uh, the way Jesus like told them illustrations, yeah, like yeah. let me tell you a story about this and that. So uh, that to me was a little bit interesting as we went across, as I uh, went across it and studied through it and read it. Um, but the first parable is a tale of two cities, and it's not that horrible Charles Dickens book that people like. Yeah, it's it's this one. I really have a gripe against that. I think I've brought that book up so many times on the podcast. I'm pretty sure you have. Yeah, it, it was even the- somewhat recently. I feel like you've done yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> it was the first book I read in the tenth grade in advanced language arts and. I I don't think I ever finished reading it. I couldn't get past like the first chapter or the first 10 pages that was talking about a horse and a chariot. Mm -hmm. And that's when Cliff Notes came out. Do you remember Cliff Notes? Yeah. So they had just come out as a new thing. And I went to a bookstore and I bought it. My mom was like, are you allowed to do that? And I was like, yeah. I am now. (laughs) So I got that and that's how I passed that, that portion of the class. I've never read it. Yeah, don't don't worry. Anyone who's out there, don't don't waste your time. What? There's a movie made it about it. Just watch that, or buy the Cliff Notes on eBay, and like the dusted off old collection of things. Anyways, tangents way yeah. off on tangent. Uh, so it's two cities. There's uh, uh, talking about one city where you know things uh, that you live in, and then another city where you are headed to. And really, it's like don't really start accumulating yourself or, or getting used to living in this city that's part of this world. Um, it actually says you're not, a, uh, the shepherd tells Hermas uh, that you're not a, the, that the person isn't, doesn't belong to this world. Yeah. And they use a very specific, like, not citizen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just took me to Philippians. I was 
as soon as I read that, I was like, but our citizenship is not of this world. It is yada, da, 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 da. So, uh, and, and throughout these parables, uh, there's a lot of times that there's wording that points me back to spots in the New Testament. Uh, I don't know if you caught that too. I didn't. Yeah, I was just looking at that same thing of like, oh, we are not of this world. It's all the bumper stickers and all that stuff. I was like, yeah, that's kind of, if you were to sum up this parable. Sorry, I got confused. I was struggling on parable because mine is similitudes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I, maybe that's what makes it more visiony. These are similitudes. Maybe. And I knew I would just struggle with saying similitudes. So I'm going parable. <laughs> yeah. As you were talking about like, oh, parable visiony. Like, what is that? I like sidetracked off. And uh, that's why you're able to ramble so long on that thing. Because I was looking, <laughs> I was like parable. And it just says a simple story illustrating a moral or religious lesson. But now we get similitude. It's like a simile, an allegory or a parable. Thanks. Helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So same but different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I did like and what I caught really was like um, when it talks about the other city, it's, it kind of leads it up to like what is the other city. And for like Hermas's audience, it could be like, is it Rome? Is it the world in general? And to me, I was like, this is one of those things where it's like, yes. Mm-hmm. And the same thing, like who's the ruler of the empire? Are we talking about the Roman emperor or are we talking about the devil? It's just one of those things that is kind of like, eternal eternally applicable as mm-hmm. i guess that's how it works out as a parable right yeah it's taking this principle that's there and being able to carry it out not just for hermos but for us as well yeah for me it just really summed up with uh where is your allegiance and the best way to start getting confused about where your allegiance is is when you start accumulating earthly wealth when you're chasing out the power money and possessions uh, that's the best way your allegiance starts fading from the the city, I guess, that would be city of God versus the city of the world. Yeah, city of God. Not to be confused with. Is that Augustine? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. not to be confused with that. But how you were saying there, that allegiance shifting, I think that in this parable, it's talking about uh, like preparing fields and expensive displays and buildings in mm-hmm. this foreign city. So yeah, really just, I am setting up shop here. Yeah, yeah. And I've been um, preparing a sermon for the city of Pergamum in for the church in Pergamum. And that was one of the things looking at there because like, oh yeah, I know where you live. It's where Satan mm-hmm. dwells. It's where his throne is. And just really looking at the thing of like, and he's like, that's where you are too. And just really what I was drawing out of that was, yes, physically they are there in that city, but what's carrying on their faith is realizing that like, this isn't the home. Mm-hmm. They're they're going to their home. Yeah, the the other thing, and this was like my really last main thing that I really pulled from this was um, that wealth in itself is from God, and it's good, uh, but it should be more of a social purpose. Like it should be used more for like sharing and giving than uh, for being enjoyed selfishly. So I think that's where like even when we see Paul write the 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 pursuit of money is. What is it? All evil or leads to evil? The love of money. The love of money. Is the root of all kinds of evil. And it's it's not necessarily the I thing I actually itself. know that by memory because so many people, it's like, money's evil. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Nah, let's actually remember what that says. Right. And that's the point I think that you're getting here with Hermas is in this first parable. It's like the money isn't necessarily the bad thing. It is from God, but it's how you spend it and how you use it is really where uh, you need to check yourself out. Yeah. I liked how it was talking about there, even how you're spending that and how you use it. Um he kind of said that believers were encouraged to buy souls that are in trouble. 
Mm-hmm. And I just like that phrasing. Like, oh, yeah, that's what you're using that money for. Um, you know, that's how you're saying caring for vulnerable widows, orphans. Um, and how I was talking about, whereas before in the city, building up the fields and all of those pricey things. But then in that respect, just talking about fields and houses of this kind, kind of talking about like heavenly rewards and treasures mm-hmm. and kind of build up yeah. not here on earth where moth and rust and thieves, as Jesus yeah. would say. Yeah. I really feel like for me, the parables, uh, they sound more like the Bible than yeah. the other sections, especially the visions. The visions were cool, but this stuff, like, there's just echoes throughout it of what, you know, the the Christians in Rome were really chewing on in the theology. Uh, parable 2? Yep, I'm for it. Uh, so that's the elm and the vine, and it's basically this parable of an, an elm and a vine tree growing together or branch or whatever it's described as, uh, and how one supports the other. Um, and what it breaks down to is the rich and the poor and the roles that they play together. Um, and what I wanted to start off with, with this one is just going back to that, um, from the first episode uh, on the Shepherd of Hermas, that idea of what poor is, mm-hmm. uh, is different to them than it is to us. Refresh. Cause it was more of like a, it was a socially. Yeah. It was an, like, so it was the non-elite. I, I got the quote right here from, uh, the commentary it said the non-elite does not necessarily mean economically poor, uh, the terminology for poverty in ancient Mediterranean language has little correspondence with modern understanding of poverty, but rather to do with the maintenance of status, honor, however limited the family uh, claims to possess. Without sufficient economic means, the family cannot maintain its claimed honor or status. So more along the lines of that, like you're just not an you're a non-elite, you're not part of this honorable status. You know, and there are people who could have professions and jobs, uh, but they just weren't that. Yeah. Um, going through this, and even as you were talking there, it just reminds me of James mm-hmm. about, you know, don't elevate one. Per- oh, you got money here. Come sit up here. Yeah. And like how you don't treat people differently. And that's what I saw here in this parable. So to kind of give, to continue on with the visual that you're giving, looking at that elm and the vine. And so you have the elm, which is a huge sturdy tree, but no fruit. But then you have a vine that obviously needs to grow on something, but that's bearing fruit and having that. So what you have is the taller that the elm tree goes, the more that the vine can wrap around it, the more that it then looks like, you know, the elm tree is bearing fruit and having that on there. Mm-hmm. So you have the two coming together yeah. and working together in that. Um, uh, what's the word from science class? I'm not science class. <laughs> Think about it. It's the two creatures that have a symbiotic relationship. Now, now I'm thinking is venom. Mutually beneficial relationships. We'll leave it there. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is interesting <laughs> uh, because uh, an, a parable like that, like this, will get lost on a lot of us today because it's really not something we see or understand. I actually had to look up a picture to figure out what was going on to mm-hmm. make it un- make myself understand it. But it was a common uh, Central Italy uh, use for growing uh, grapes. Like they did this, um, and it's still used sometimes. Uh, but the method was fully described by uh, is it Pliny? I think you can either say Pliny or Pliny. That guy, the elder one, though. And, uh, but it was used a lot in Roman uh, writings for romance, marriage, and then divorce. And then it appears in Christian writings as well. And, and what I read was that like, uh, they probably ripped that from this. Like Hermas was probably the originator of Interesting. that. Interesting. Yeah, so that, that was pretty cool. Um, 
I just realized no one can see my face when you're just like, they use this for romance and marriage and divorce. I'm like, how? Well, being intertwined together and then having to separate. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it was mostly just on the divorce part. Yeah, yeah, like, I figured that's be what it was. pretty intertwined. Yeah. yeah. I guess that's a good separate. image of divorce. It's it just really like, is. yeah, we're really ripping apart. Ripping things apart. Brands, you don't know which brands is which. Oh, man, there's a lesson there. Uh, <laughs> the elm tree is the rich. Yes. And the vine is the poor. But also, depending on how you read it, it can it could seem like the other way around. Um, that's where I was writing it down, and I saw it in the commentary. They had it put plain, and then I kept reading it, and I was like, wait, this doesn't add up. But essentially, what's happening is uh, the poor are praying for uh, their needs and, their, and what they don't have. And, and I believe both of them at this point seem to be Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rich then, being moved by God, because of those prayers, will give to the poor. And so then the poor is now praying for the rich to give and, and for the rich to have more so that they could give more to the poor. It's like this cycle of uh, the poor spiritually have a stronger prayer life. Yeah. So they're supporting the wealthy whose prayer life is slightly weaker. But in doing the action of giving, they're actually fulfilling their obligations as a Christian. It's, 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 I don't know if that made sense, but like, that's how I got it. It made sense to me because I know what it says. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully our <laughs> listeners can follow. But yeah, because yeah. you, you're talking about the support and who's supporting who. Because if you think about the elm, the mm-hmm. elm is the tree that provides the support for the vine. So the rich are the support in those material ways mm-hmm. for the poor that they're able to come in. But then in exchange, how you're saying that the poor do have that kind of greater connection to God in that way. So that's when they are then praying for the rich and giving them what they need in mm-hmm. that sense. And yeah, it's really cool seeing the, the two working together. Yeah, the the way I just, I really remembered um, uh, Chris Brown, I think yeah, he shared this at the conference, yeah. where like they went to a place where they were supporting as a church. And, you know, he went I think went that was there. Compassion International. Yeah, through them, through Compassion International, uh, he went to a village somewhere that they as a church were supporting. And he just felt like really bummed out because he saw all their needs and their lacks and just thinking about what he has. And uh, when the like head of the tribe came and talked to him, he was like, we pray for you guys to stay wealthy because the more you make, the more you give. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's really the you put the two of the city and this one together and you're starting to see a theme of like, what are you doing with your wealth and your finances? How are you giving it to others? Are you giving it to others? You know, what has Lord of your life? Yeah, I don't really have anything else for that one. All right. Parable three, which is the shortest of them and my favorite. Um, just because Be- it was because short. Of that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because after reading nine, I'm like, parable three is the best. Um, the withered tree. The withered tree uh, or the winter tree. Uh, so basically this one is like, there's just a bunch of trees. They all look the same, whether they're dead or seasonally dormant. Um, and uh, life in this world is compared to the winter. And it just reminded me of uh, uh, the parable, I think it's a parable that Jesus told. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a person who sowed, seed good, uh, who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, the enemy came and sowed the weeds uh, among the wheat and then went away. And when the plant sprouted, both uh, grain, the weeds also appeared. Uh, but the slave of the owner came and said to him, sir, did you uh, sow good seed in the field? Uh, then where did these weeds come from? He said, an enemy has done this. So the slave replied, do you want me to go and gather them all up together? He said, no, since gathering the weeds and uprooting them uh, would damage the wheat, let them grow together. At harvest time, the, I'll tell the reaper, first collect the weeds, tie them together, bundle them to be burned, but gather the wheat and put them into my barn. 
Uh, and this really does jump into like the fourth parable of the summer trees. Uh, but it's just that idea of like, at some point they're all growing and look the same. Um, and that that's really kind of what parable three is about. Like you couldn't tell what tree was alive or dead or just dormant. Yeah. And I think that that's the clarification to really pull out is so winter comes, mm-hmm. some trees are actually dead. Yeah. Other trees are dormant, but you look, none of them have leaves. So you mm-hmm. can't tell which is the parable that you brought up that Jesus gave about the that the wheat and the tares. Yeah. Yeah. So it all looks the same. Yeah. Um, yeah. So kind of this message there is that kind of have the true nature or a spiritual state of a person isn't always evident from external like circumstances or appearances, which yeah. is annoying because I want to be judgmental. <laughs> I mean, just being honest, yeah, I'm pretty yeah, sure yeah, you've heard yeah. me more than anybody of just like, yeah, judging from the outside as far as what something looks like. And then you like to come in like, no, so you see when you're a gardener and different things. Yeah, grow at yeah, different yeah. Rates. I'm like, no, but this one's dead. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I mean, gardening. You're like, no, it's dormant. <laughs> <laughs> gardening, it, which does run throughout a lot of the parables, too. But mm-hmm. just the way the Bible uses them and... uh there's just so many practical spiritual applications that comes from gardening. Like right now I'm literally staring at my backyard that has some dead plants, some that are just aren't doing as well and some that the season's done with. So like once the season's done, we, you know, you got to rip those out to plant for the next season. Um, But like our grass is super green right now. And all summer there was just this big old chunk of it that just was yellow and I couldn't get it to get green no matter how much I watered. Uh, Hurricane Hillary came. Oh yeah, and brought in tropical nutrients. Brought in those. It did, and all <laughs> of a sudden the grass just greened up so well. Um, and if anyone knows Hurricane Hillary for us was more just like rain. Yeah, we didn't have a real hurricane. I do want to make a note to that though. Go for it. Not your grass. Okay. Not the hurricane. It does look good though. Yeah, I, I, I literally <laughs> yeah. turned around to look out there. I was like, yeah, that is pretty lush looking. Yeah. Um. Is it just like so many things in scripture, which this isn't scripture, although maybe it is or maybe it was, depending on who you're asking. Mm-hmm. I still think it's a second to the decay. But I digress. Coming back to Jesus told us that we are to judge mm-hmm. or to judge rightly, but that we're also to judge a tree by its fruit. So there is these things that are often in tension, that it's both things that like, hey, you can't really tell. So don't go trying to separate which one's real and which one's not. Mm-hmm. However, I also expect you to be able to tell. Yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. It keeps us on our toes. Like, we're, yeah, work on discernment. But then it's even there, just like, I think that the lesson in there is for us to have mercy and compassion win out over the judgment. Mm-hmm. Like, I really think that that's part of the test. Yeah. There. I do like that. Uh, parable four is uh, now summer trees. So now some trees have. Uh, sprouted and bloomed and some have fruit and everything. So the summer equals God's mercy. Uh, The summer sun that's described in there that shines on them, that's God's mercy. Uh, When God's mercy shines on the righteous, their fruit will show. Uh, When God's mercy shines on the unrighteous, and and Hermas uses, at least in my translation, heathens and sinners, uh, they will still be shown dry and fruitless, uh, and then they will be burned. So um, it just goes back to that kind of what we were already talking about. Just, you know, one, once uh, the summer of the sun hits, those who, you know, their life is still active and it's not dormant or it is dormant, uh, they'll start producing fruit in, in 
I guess even in the Bible, right? You, they'll produce fruit in due season. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's interesting that how much it pulls from it. Yeah, even there, um, the scripture that talks about just how God is impartial mm-hmm. and he causes his rain and the sun to fall on the just and the unjust. But I like that here, it's showing what effects that has. Mm. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I think that that's more realistic because just on that scripture that I quoted, you're thinking, oh yeah, it's doing that. So then everything has a chance to grow or that's what's going to happen. But then when you get, no, if it's kind of a wither tree that's happening, the sun is beating down, that's going to be do a different thing. Yeah. 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 Uh, just one of the key takeaways I got from this, because it does mention uh, why some of the trees are uh, dry and fruitless, uh, is that uh, relying on wealth and busyness for happiness is a form of double-mindedness, a big thing that's throughout the book, and a major obstacle for receiving what you ask for in prayer. Uh, mainly just because... Uh, we go back kind of to that last parable or the third parable where when you have wealth, you don't really pray for a lot because you think you have it all already. Um, and then busyness keeps you so busy that, yeah, you don't have the time to pray. So I like what it says there as far as the busyness goes. Oh, man. Translation I pulled up is like the old, old English. Do thou therefore. <laughs> I, I clicked the wrong link. Yeah. Oh, all right. That's what we're getting. Do thou therefore bear fruit that in the summer thy fruit may be known, but abstain from overmuch business, and thou shalt never fall into any sin. For they that busy themselves overmuch sin much also, being distracted about their busyness and in no ways serving their own Lord. Hmm. Like, yeah, you're going to fall into sin if like you're not putting your mind on serving God. Yeah. Some of the stuff, I'm just like, you know me, me and my wife and my family, we're pretty busy. Mm-hmm. folk going all over the place i'm like am i supposed to be convicted by this <laughs> which is a, no i think it's a real thing it's like well don't be busy it's like okay so let's all just lounge on couches like you know what i mean yeah I, yeah again tension of things uh, really i i think like today's world busyness is such a thing of like notoriety i think that's changing with the younger generations but yeah but people still our age yeah like with kids yeah like man a lot of my friends are like i got my kids in this sport i got my kids in that sport we just moved from football season to baseball season to jujitsu season to this and that and then we're talking about their school uh work that all has to be done and just so many programs and lessons and things that like they get home from work they drop one off here they drop one off there and they're running around until it's dinner time and it's just like busy 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 and at that point, then you're just like, I'm tired. What am I tired from? You've just been running around all day. I was talking to a friend just because you brought it to the point of kids. I was talking to a friend uh, who works in a youth ministry. And she was bringing up that that's one of the big challenges to where I was like, oh, the church throwing events and doing things and having people come together used to be a thing. Mm-hmm. Go back however many years ago. But now from all the extracurricular activities, like the kids are just too beat. To come to church stuff and to do that. It's like, seriously, I gotta do one more thing. It's like, it's fun. It's like even a fun thing, dude. <laughs> like I, yeah. it's too much. So yeah, the the truthfulness and, in this. And then the busyness that falls on a Sunday or a church gathering time. And it's like, no, but you have a softball tournament, let's go to that, or your baseball tournament. So mm-hmm. you have to do that. And really, uh, I heard from actually uh, the people in our youth department who work in it. What's really happening now is that the parents are doing so many extra things for them that the kids are realizing that going to church isn't as important as I think it is. And I can show up once a month and that's good enough. 
Um, and that's just like with that one area of spirituality, imagine how that's then played and laid out for the rest of it. Uh, so busyness, yeah, as much as we want to not put it up there with being greedy and angry, like, yeah, it does just as much to your faith. Yeah, just the last thing that I want to bring up with Parable 4, um, I almost missed it, but just how much it emphasizing, like, yeah, focusing on God and having that is even to the point of, like, those who are serving God and living righteously, like, their prayers will be answered. But if you're neglecting spiritual duties and stuff, like, you shouldn't expect stuff from the Lord, you know, and just really where that lies. Um, but then even bringing it down so simply is like, okay, that seems like a huge thing. Because look, if you even are coming in with like a single righteous act, but your mind is really focused on the Lord, it's like you're doing well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like the bar is so crazy high, but it's like, it's really like, it is manageable, but you do need to do it. But I just really wanted to bring that up because again, going back to where our world is at right now. And so many, I really feel like so many people like, I don't, I can't hear from God. I don't hear from, like, mm. I don't know what it is. Or I'm praying for these things. I'm doing this. And just like, going to what you just said okay well we're showing up once a month and that's just to the one thing that's happening on a sunday mm-hmm. like we're not part of the church as far as the body goes yeah yeah so i just wanted to bring that up because there are different points throughout scripture that that gets pulled out but just I, I do think it's an important thing of i think that what is the word that they use today like entitlement mm-hmm. i feel like a lot of people feel entitled like god loves me so he's got to hear my prayers and he has to answer mm-hmm. them yeah and just like, mm, maybe the one where you repent. Yeah, that'll be it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, that was it. On to the next one. Hello, my name is Pietro, creator and founder of the Holy Spirit Lie Detector. Are you struggling to discern truth from falsehood? Do you feel overwhelmed by conflicting end times predictions? Like who is the Antichrist? What is the mark of the beast? And what is pre, mid, and post? Are you unsure of which preacher to trust? Well, thanks to the Holy Spirit Lie Detector app, you won't have that problem anymore. You'll be able to decipher between what's authentic and what's false. For instance, if there's a traveling teacher who asks if they can stay with you, maybe one, two, three, four days, the Holy Spirit Lie Detector will notify you that that person is a false teacher. Or if there's a well-known preacher who's constantly asking for money or something for their use only, the Holy Spirit Lie Detector will let you know that they are a false teacher. Now when you're watching that popular so-called Christian prophet on the YouTube and they say there are all these signs of the second coming of Jesus that really don't line up with scripture and seem more like speculation. The Holy Spirit lie detector will let you know that they are a false teacher. Never worry again if that teacher's theology of creation, Jesus, or who wrote the books of the Bible is accurate or not because the Holy Spirit lie detector will let you know the truth. So what are you waiting for? Download the Holy Spirit Lie Detector wherever you purchase apps on your smart device and feel confident that the Holy Spirit has your back. The next parable is fun uh, because it's it has like a it's one of the longer ones too, but it has basically uh, the the parable itself is about a slave who uh, a master says tend to uh, the 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 field, and so. Uh, the slave does, and he works at it, and he plants the vineyards, and he puts them up on stocks and everything. 
and then weeds start growing out of there. And so the, the slave has to go in and uh, dig out all the weeds and make it look nice. And then the master comes back and sees it. And he's like, this looks fantastic. And he calls his homeboys over and they all have a party. Um, and that's the, the parable in a nutshell. Uh, but it starts off with um, Hermas fasting, which is interesting because then the shepherd shows up and he's like, hey, uh, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I'm fasting and this is um, what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Mm-hmm. Or the, I, I think he used a specific word. I can't remember what it was, but he tells him that. And then the shepherd's like, yeah, you're not really fasting. Like this isn't right. And so I was like really into this because I'm like, all right, maybe it's going to give some good like what fasting is supposed to be done. Because you... I feel like whenever there's a thing like this with fasting, as long as it will tell me that I can eat food during my fast, like I'm bored. Which is cool about this one. Uh, but uh, so verse five through seven, it just talks about uh, what's good, uh, what good fasting is, uh, or what good is fasting if you're not obeying all the rest of God's commandments. So he's like, what good is it you doing this one spiritual principle if the rest of your life isn't really reflecting it or you're not doing that? Uh, but there's this warning of be on your guard and it says like, watch out from... Uh, the evil of the world, watch out for your evil desires and your vanity. So while you're fasting, watch out for these things. And then it says, uh, taste nothing while fasting, taste nothing but bread and water. Uh, so that was interesting because from our fasting, you know, you can't taste bread or water. But in the commentary I read, it said fasting with bread and water and sometimes with salt or vegetables added was frequently the content of early Christian fasting. So mm-hmm. that's how they did it was you know, that have bread and they'll have some water. Which is like, it's cool to get that added context mm-hmm. because I don't know if we've covered it on the podcast, but just how little actual detail is given about fasting. Mm-hmm. Like you get a couple examples of people fasting, but it's like, nobody told them to do it like yeah, that. Like, yeah. where are you getting this? And we come up with, oh, the Daniel fast. Let's yeah. just make up all of our own. <laughs> right? And all this stuff yeah. but just to get an example of, well, here's an early Christian writing and here's the thing that they were doing. Of course, as most Christians in the West, we're not going to accept this as a fast because it's not in the Bible. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. cool that somebody kind of said something about it. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice thought. The the other thing I found interesting. You actually need to abstain from food. That's what I'm getting to. Yeah. <laughs> the Bible one is you can't eat bread. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try this one. See how it works. <laughs> uh, the the thing that I thought was cool, and I thought this was a key point to like understanding why you're fasting, was the part where it said, um, "When you are fasting, give your meals." Uh, that you were going to eat to mm-hmm. either the orphans, the widows, or the poor. And that's something that I did learn somewhere along the way. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of took it on as a good practice or a good idea of like, oh, no, if you were going to eat anyways, mm-hmm. like take that and give to somebody. Maybe this is where that originated from because I've not been able to find anywhere. That stuck out to me as well. I'm just like, yeah. is this where that comes from? Because I know be. that yeah. I knew about that before first reading this. Yeah. But nobody reads this other than Josiah's uncle. <laughs> so I'm just like... I, I, yeah. It must have like made its way through history somehow. Yeah, and, and that I liked because that that shows you that like you're not only just sacrificing, I guess, the sense the you not eating, but then you're also sacrificing in your giving. Yeah. Um. So that was cool. Um, just on the thing of doing right, abstaining from evil, and all of that, I really, I just love the parallel to that, and I say a fifty-eight, mm. um, fifty-eight six and onward. Because they were, the Israelites are like, oh man, we're in sackcloth and ashes and we're fasting. God, how come you won't hear me? And then God picks up in verse six and says, isn't this the fast that I've chosen? To break the chains of wickedness, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and tear mm-hmm. off every yoke? 
Isn't it to share your bread with the hungry? Well, that's what you just said. Yeah. Uh, to bring the poor and the homeless into your home, to clothe the naked when you see him, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will come quickly, and your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer, right? So mm-hmm. again, like, what's the purpose of your fast? And they're like, oh, we're not, like, look at us, we're not eating. Like, you need to answer our prayers. Maybe paralleling something I just said for the last one. <laughs> yeah. But he's like, go do the right thing, yeah. then I'll hear you. Yeah. That, I do like that part. Uh, I'm going to break down the parable real quick. Yeah. Uh, so the field in this parable is the world. Uh, God is the Lord of the field. So he's the one in charge of it. Uh, this was interesting because when I was reading this, I was like, I got this parable. I understand it. Mm-hmm. And then he, uh, the explanation that comes from the shepherd later, I was like, nope, I didn't. I missed it. The son is the Holy Spirit. Uh, the vines are the people of who uh, God planted, so that's us. Uh, the stalks are the holy messengers, the angels that are holding them up and supporting them. Uh, the weeds are the sins of the people. Uh, the dishes that are that's giving during the the time of celebration is God's commandments. Uh, the friends and fellow counselors are uh, holy messengers themselves. So where I uh, got confused that was, I thought the son was going to be Jesus, and the friends and counselors was going to be the Holy Spirit. Uh, but the slave who's working the field is Jesus. Yeah, the servant that's yeah. in the estate. Yeah, yeah. So yours says field, mine says estate, but yeah, yeah, you have the servant that's in there. Yeah, so that was was interesting. And then the time uh, the master was gone, that's basically like, you know, before Jesus comes back or God comes back. Um, so it, it was interesting to me that they kind of flipped it, and I know that's where, in, in this section uh, specifically, that a lot of people have... Uh, issues with it. And so I read it in, in uh, the Carolyn Osset commentary. She said, yet if this unorthodox interpretation has been understood to its primary meaning, it's strange that this immensely popular document of the early church was not condemned for Christology or Christological heresy. Rather, it's modern interpreters who sometimes seek to explain away its unusual Christology. Mm. So what she's saying is like, if People were looking at this as, uh, no, that's wrong. Uh, the original readers, because this was so popular, like we had talked about, they would have found it as heresy. But, you know, for them it worked. And and what's cool is then when you see what the, the servant does is that um, it's toiling the, the ground when the weeds start coming up. Uh, it's purging away the sins of the people. And then he, he even said that uh, he suffered and labored because working and removing the weeds, the sins, is difficult. So you do kind of see what Jesus was doing here and his intentions. Yeah. Again, I just like that within that, just those difficulties in trying to mm-hmm. interpret and stuff, I like that Hermas is just a dude, and he admits that he doesn't understand it. Yeah. And he asks for clarification. I'm like, I really like you. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the shepherd really emphasizing, and this is was just like, okay, uh, the shepherd emphasizes no you got to seek god and like people who are genuinely like seeking and serving genuinely serving god uh they'll understand his teachings mm-hmm. and then that just makes me feel weird when i read something and i don't get it yeah yeah <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean <laughs> yeah it is throughout the parables he's yeah. like i need this explained he's like if you're not understanding it that's you know you just don't understand it and that's god's gonna reveal thing. it to you that's yeah. what Right? When the disciples mm-hmm. were first coming up, he would explain it. And then he just stopped explaining them. Yeah. I'm like, am I supposed to get it by now? Yeah. Because help? <laughs> SOS. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, 
but just that thing of Jesus coming in, doing the weeding and doing all of that, kind of bringing that to the importance of keeping your flesh pure so that the Holy Spirit within would remain undefiled. Mm -hmm. Just that concept of you're defiling your flesh, then you're defiling the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And it brings me back to, is that Corinthians? Of, don't you know that anybody who joins their body to a prostitute, I'm talking about? Yes. Isn't just sinning against their body, it's sinning against the spirit? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. It, it drew on that there. Um, I don't I, know, for some reason when you said First Corinthians that way, I was like, is it? And I was like, Chris, you wouldn't even know if <laughs> it was or was it. Just go along with it. You know what he's saying. Hold on. <laughs> I need to see if this is right. Nope. I thought that I randomly knew it. I Googled it. That, that, that was the right one. Um, but I do like that if you have defiled that God in his compassion can heal those past transgressions mm -hmm. if you commit to living righteously yeah. moving forward. Yeah. And again, I just, the things that are pulled out in this that I think get skipped over. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, God will forgive you of all your stuff and all this stuff. Cool, so I can just keep going, no repentance. And like, it really irks me that repentance isn't brought forth more in the forgiveness conversation. Yeah. So just that that's there is like, oh, yeah, if you commit to righteousness, mm -hmm. God's got you. Yeah, that I did like that, too. All right. Parable six, as we kind of keep working our way through it, uh, the shepherds of luxury and punishment. So you have uh, two shepherds uh, on a field and there's one shepherd where the like he's just all decked out, looks super cool. Um, and the sheep are like frolicking around, bouncing around, seem all happy and content. And then there's another shepherd who looks mean. And, and I think even Hermas said like he was afraid of him. Um, and he's just torturing these sheep and like not taking care of them right, not allowing them to uh, just have rest. And he's just constantly doing things that uh, is it's not beneficial. And, and Hermas actually has starts to have compassion on them. So that's the two parables. Um, and then we'll get into explaining them right now. Uh, but verse one was really intriguing to me or the first opening line. It said, I will be happy. Uh, or I think my translation says blessed, but I always equate that to happy. Um, and then there's also the equating it to blessed to life if I walk in these commandments and everyone who walks in them. So it just kind of starts off with understanding if you start walking in the commandments uh, and I kind of connected them to what we did in the previous episodes, the 12 commandments uh, that were given mm -hmm. to him. I just assume that that's what he's talking about here, uh, that I will have life if I walk in these. Um, that's kind of his response when you went yeah. through. He's like, oh, I felt life being restored to me. Yeah. Hearing yeah. these things. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, getting into those sheep that were kind of bouncing around in, in the luxury area with the, the shepherd of luxury. Uh, I read this in a commentary. It said their constant movement doesn't mean that they enjoy a healthy spiritual freedom, but rather that they are restlessly looking for what they don't have by the way of pleasure. Hmm. And so when you get into it, that the, the shepherd... Uh, all dressed up nice, the shepherd of luxury, uh, that's a demon, right? Yeah, I kind of got it as, um, you're saying luxury, self-indulgence. Mm -hmm. Kind of where I was bringing it to. So he's like kind of giving them all these things. They think they're happy and everything, but I really like that it that the way the commentary phrased it, it's like, no, they're just restless. And the only way they're trying to fill that, uh, I think it was a Josiah who was talking about that God-shaped hole, mm -hmm. was on pleasures and luxury. And they, that's why they just kept bouncing around from one to the other, because nothing was satisfying. I know it doesn't directly parallel it, but it's that thing of, how does it get worded? 
it's kind of that thing of if you make the field big enough, like the animals won't know that they're in a field enslaved. Oh yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just that same thing of like, oh no, if you if you just give them all this stuff, they're not gonna care. They're not gonna notice. Yeah, getting fattened up for slaughter. Yeah. Uh. So the the shepherd dressed demon guy. Uh. He deceives them. Uh. With wicked desires, he makes them forget the commandments. Uh. And walks into seat and promises them nothing but empty luxuries. And then there's the second shepherd. Wait, before getting that, there is the distinction though that's made within those sheep, right? Oh yes, yes. There's so some that between aren't those that are around. like fully turned mm -hmm. away from God and facing eternal death, and that those that have been deceived, like you were just saying, mm -hmm. and haven't fully blasphemed, and so they can still repent. Mm -hmm. So just the distinction there. Yeah, and that's where the second um, shepherd comes in, uh, who's the messenger of punishment. Mm -hmm. So angel <laughs> right yeah angel's a messenger yeah so it's crazy that the first one like demon but it's giving you all you want and you have a nice life it seems like and then the angel of punishment is like angel uh but he tortures and punish them like you're saying with the hope that they will repent so this is why this is all done together um that the the what they're going through is with the intent of having them turn and repent to god and i think it even says in there that at some point they will um They'll notice and like, oh, I've been going against what God wants. Mm -hmm. And then they turn and then there's repentance found in there. Uh, so this, again, is another two uh, two ways that's constant throughout this. Uh, so you got the two angels here, and but it really comes down to what's attractive leads to death and what seems terrible leads to life. Um, so that's what's that. And then I like that he asked, again, Hermas always asks the questions that we're thinking because he says, what is luxury? Mm-hmm. Because I think I got caught up with luxury being like uh, wealth and all that other stuff, which is a theme of the book. But uh, the uh, the shepherd says it's every act of a man which he performs with pleasure. And then, okay, that's also vague, but then he breaks it down. He says anger, adultery, uh, drunkenness, um, backbiting, lying, and covetousness. These are uh, luxury. That's what we're really looking like, that self-indulgence. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, that's my own passions and things mm -hmm. I'm going after there. Um, there's an interesting thing there as well about the time concerning these things. Did you pick up on that when you're reading? No. It's like uh, the shepherd explained that a single day of self-indulgence can lead to a year of torment. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of intense. Mm -hmm. uh, that's because the consequences of our actions have a lasting impact, whereas fleeting moments of pleasure are quickly forgotten. Mm-hmm. It might have been on one of the recent episodes of Lord of Spirits because they were talking about, oh, punishment and, oh, the punishment doesn't feel like it fits the crime yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And just, oh, so if I do the act of murdering somebody, that act only lasted for as long as it took. Mm -hmm. But that person's now dead for a very yeah. long time. You know what I mean? So the timing and how things last, that's what I saw in there. Yeah, I think Mark Clark wrote that in his book of like um, God and evil, mm. like the problem of God book or the problem of Jesus is one of them. But he talks about like the punishment of it um, and like people can't comprehend why the punishment is eternal. And he said, if we have punishments where it's based off of like you did this, you get this much time in jail, you do this, you get life in prison. Uh, what do you think the punishment is for rebelling against an eternal God? Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I, it does add up. Uh, what you're talking about, the two like different sheep, it said one was uh, corrupt, which means there could be repentance, 
So it was the one that was corrupted. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was death. And that's no return. Yeah. So that's there. Parable 7. It just kind of flows out of Parable 6. Um, and the one thing I got out of it was verse 8 in the book, or at least this portion of the book that I'm reading. It says, not altogether, but he who converts must torture his own soul. Uh and be exceedingly humble in all of his conduct, and be afflicted with many kinds of afflictions. And if he endures these afflictions that come, he who created all things and endued them with the power will assuredly have compassion and will heal them. Um, so it, it kind of just does continue on with that and talking about what true conversion is or not. But that just reminded me a lot of uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 4 to 27. Uh, that talks about, do you not know all the runners run in a race? Mm-hmm. Um, they run in such a way to get the prize. Uh, they go into a strict training. Um, and I, I like the, this is like always my favorite part of it. it. says, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my own body, making it my slave, so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Um, and I, I just saw the comparison between that and the what I just read from Hermas of like, they'll be afflicted, their soul will be tortured, like, uh, you know, when you go in there, when you're really doing something for God, like Paul was saying, you know, I get self-control essentially is what he's saying. Mm-hmm. And I don't let it master me. It's where I'm chasing after and pursuing pleasures and stuff like that. Yeah, this is the parable where Hermas is like, hey, can the affliction kind of not be that bad, though? Yeah, because it was on him and his household. Yeah, yeah. because of the sins that had been there. And so like, no, the... The angel has anger towards mm-hmm. all of the sin that's happening there. So this is to purge that. And the shepherd is like, hey, I'll, I'll ask him to be gentle on you. Yeah. But even all of that, just the mindset and the perspective shift of, again, James, consider it all joy when you go through all kinds of trials. Mm-hmm. And um, Paul, when he's talking about like these momentary sufferings and afflictions that we go through compared to the joy that we will take part in. And for me, really to just get into my mind that I am more wicked than I want to believe. Mm-hmm. And when something comes across, I should be like this, like one, does it getting my attention so that I'll turn in repentance? Or is it like, is there something that kind of needs to get purged out of me? Mm-hmm. And I should stop looking at this life as being, it should all be pleasurable. And I should look at it as God is using these things to purge the things out of me that are not good. Yeah. And I don't want to be like, masochist and like oh i want these things and mm-hmm. you'd be like hermes like can you be gentle <laughs> like, yeah. if it's got to come out it's got to come out maybe maybe put me to sleep first yeah but that's really the perspective that i got off of this one and the one prior to it was just the necessity of going through the stuff mm-hmm. and just really it's a perspective shift of like okay i need to go through things mm-hmm. i need to go through hard things not that i want to but i need to and it's so much for my benefit yeah yeah that's why i like these two coming together yeah uh, parable eight, the cosmic willow tree. Ah, yeah, the willow tree. Yeah, this the, was uh... the fun one. This one was also long, not as long as nine, but it was long. But this one, at least, uh, you know, there's a good flow to it. So, the structure of this parable is the introduction of the parable and the image of the tree. And then there's the first report of uh, the returned sticks, which uh, there's a lot of different results. Um, then there's various rewards from the angel crown, seals, garments. Uh, there's departure of the angel and then the planting of the sticks by the shepherd, the explanation of the tree and the angel, general explanation of the sticks, uh, explanation of the majority of the sticks returned uh, completely green. Second report of the plant sticks, which results in different of all of this is confusing. That's why I'm reading it this way, because 
it was confusing when I was reading it at first. I'm so glad that you said it. I was yeah. just like, why are you doing, <laughs> doing this that. to our podcast right because now? I was like, this is what like this one was. It was just like this weirdness. I don't know if we can see a graph of listener <laughs> drop off, but it happened right there. I'm not uh, even in yeah. the room anymore. <laughs> yeah, it was just so weird and confusing. Uh, but as a whole, this is what I understood of it. There was a giant tree. Um, and then from there, there was given sticks to all people from the tree. Yeah, which even after everything got given out, Hermas was all confused because the tree was still intact. Yeah, the tree was still like completely whole. Um, and then there was like, all right, now bring back all your sticks. We need to see them. And everyone got together and some of them were withered. Some of them were uh, half green. Some of them were this and that. That was There's... like withered, half withered, green with cracks, different conditions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they, they all come. And then the good ones, they all get put into the tower, which if we remember the visions, that's the good place. Full circle. Full circle, right. Uh, but the other ones, which, what really I thought was interesting, they weren't cast into the fire or burned. They were planted again and then watered by the shepherd. And then a couple of days went by and then uh, the shepherd and Hermos went to check them out. And now some of them were turning green. Some of them were uh, blooming fruit. Some of them stayed the way they were, uh, but... Then you know that's that's kind of the the parable in a nutshell. Yeah, trying to see if he could revive yeah. those ones. Yeah, which again, just God's compassion. Mm -hmm. And then I, oh, oh, it looks dead. But like let's see what else can be done here. And then that was, the stuff that was really dead was uh, burned up. So there are some explanations of the sticks, and they're like what they are to the human conditions. So the uh, withered ones that were eaten by uh, um, moth. Uh, those are the apostates, betrayers, blasphemers. Uh, then there's the dry ones just withered by themselves. Those are hypocrites, false teachers. Uh, the half dry with cracks are double-minded people who doubt. Uh, green and cracked are jealous of honor. Half dry, half green, preoccupied with busyness. Another thing that we've already touched on. Two-thirds green and one-third dry. Yep, it gets this specific. Are uh, many denials in their lives. Two-thirds dry, one-third green is rich and honored among outsiders. Mostly green, uh, dry tips with crack. Uh, uh, they're petty desires and quarreling. These are the people who just don't want peace. Uh, mostly dry and a little green, belief without deeds but hospitable. And then the things that make it in the tower are the green ones, the green ones with buds, and the green ones that produce fruit. The ones that produce fruit are the martyrs. The green one with buds are those who are persecuted. And then the green ones are just, you know, people who keep the commands. There's a tall man that appears. That's Michael <laughs> the Archangel. <laughs> uh, the sticks are the law. And uh, so they respond and uh, to God when they are alive. So the sticks given are the law. So it really what it comes down to this is it's basically saying uh, this big old tree is God's law. And pieces of it are given to people. I believe it's, is it God's law and God and Jesus or the son of God? Uh, but either way, the big tree is the law. And when it's given to people, um, then what they do with God's law mm -hmm. uh, is eventually what determines their outcome. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's in its simplicity, it is right on with scripture but it is very complex in its story. It's like 
it just has a lot of parts. It's yeah. really not that hard. Like mm-hmm. when you broke it down and when you were breaking it down, I just thought of all of the Shepherd of Hermas and just thought this would make an excellent movie mm-hmm. because it's so visual and because he asks the questions for what does all this stuff mean. I think that it would be such a good like encouraging discipling type movie to be able to see because reading it is difficult. You know what I mean? But to be able to see it all. I think would be cool. Yeah. So so that's what this parable is. The the last thing that I want to mention in it is that uh the watering. Mm-hmm. Um uh like the the watering is giving life again. It's living water. I think that's what the shepherd tells Hermas. Yeah, to revive him. Up. Um and that just reminded me of Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. He's like, you know, give me some water. And she was like, Well, do you know who I am? And he's like, well, if you knew who never I am, I would give you water that never thirst again, that living water. So I thought that was a cool parallel uh, between the two um, in itself. Parable nine, unless you have anything more with the cosmic willow tree. Let me check. Yeah, just to reiterate on the theme of this and even going back to the theme of Enoch and even going back to the Didache of this life is going towards a judgment Mm -hmm. and what we do with this life matters Mm -hmm. and everything because even in all those crazy things in enoch remembers like hey this is the thing for the righteous people Mm -hmm. but check out all the sinful stuff but here's why it's good for the righteous people of just how much god is seeking after us to have the good result in the end of it all Mm -hmm. but that really the point of so much of this gets brought up is like don't look here on the earth. Going back to the earlier parables that we're looking at. Hey, not in the field. Don't build up the stuff. Don't have all of that. Just the apocalyptic nature of this stuff. Yeah. I don't think it immediately comes out because it's not the Enoch type. Like, hey, there's going to be judgment. But so much of it really is pointing towards that. And I just really wanted to highlight that. Yeah. The other thing uh, before we move on is that they check the first report of the branches and stuff. And then some of them, they're like, okay, instead of burning them, let's plant them and put water on them. And then there's a second report where some of the branches change, they're green and they're full of life. Um, What I loved about that was reading that there was rejoicing on part of the angel, the shepherd, uh, and the shepherd when they saw the transformation. Mm -hmm. And that's just what you see in the Bible Mm -hmm. where people's lives are changed for God. Was it... uh, when one is found, like the angels and everyone celebrate. Yeah, that's when it's given the three parables right, of the lost yeah, things, yeah. right? The sheep, the coin, and the sun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's much celebration. So I thought that was a cool tie-in. Uh, parable nine is the 12 mountains mixed in with the, the tower and some other stuff. So uh, he initially sees 12 mountains all looking different. Some of them are withered. Some of them are thorny. Some of them are beautiful, lush, and green. Some of them are uh, um, providing water for everyone else, um, and they're all around. And then in the midst of it is a stone that's like a square, and then the tower starts being built on it, and they're taking the stone. So uh, not going to really repeat a lot of what the stones mean because we got same that stuff. already. It's the same stuff. Uh, but, and then there's uh, women, young women, who appear with Hermos there. Um, and then, so they're building it and then some of the stones get taken out or, or the, the master of the tower shows up and he checks all the stones as the tower is being built and some of them just didn't make the cut. So he takes them out and then they try to, you know, a lot of, again, with the cosmic willow tree, they try to see if we could get these back in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these, these women 
are taking the stones through the gate uh, to get to the tower and in order to go through the gate. Uh, they have to go this way. Um, and then uh, at some point, Hermas turns young as he's kind of hanging out with the women. Like the shepherd has to go leave. He's like, I'm tired. I need rest. Hang out with these women. And uh, so like they start, it's weird. This is where it gets a little weird to me. Like they start kissing him. This is where? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they just fart a little bit. They start kissing him and then he's dancing and hanging out with them and they're just having a good time. And then they all stayed up praying all night. And then there's the explanation of the tower and who the young women are and the explanation of the 12. And what was cool about this one to me was that center stone or that center rock that was of a square and the gate uh, is Jesus Mm -hmm. or the son of God, which Mm -hmm. Hermas will explain. And the only way to get through the tower was to go through the gate and the the square and he explains that the only way to be part of the tower is to believe in the son of god mm-hmm. then you'll find life then you'll have it are you sure that's in the bible though no <laughs> well it's in hermos i was like out of everything yeah. you've said i don't know about that it's yeah. like, yes of course jesus he is the way yeah. the truth and the life nobody comes except through him mm-hmm. yeah um also like that the the virgins that were there how they were helping out like you were saying that they were helping to assist and prepare the stones, which are the believers, um, that they represented virtues like faith, continence, there. power, patience, simplicity, innocence, purity, cheerfulness, truth, understanding, harmony, and love. So mm-hmm. they were coming in and like, here, let me help you out with this and help shape you better so that you can get into this. Yeah. So I was like, oh, the virtues help shape us better to fit into the tower of the church. And that was what he said. You had to, like, the women had to clothe them with themselves mm-hmm. in order to get through there. Uh, so yeah, you have to clothe yourselves with these virtues. Then there were some other women that popped up. What did I say? You, you said it right. I really thought you're like, yeah, you just have to clothe yourself with these virgins. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> said virtues. Yeah, you said yeah. yeah okay. But for a split second, <laughs> I was just like, no. This now isn't... it's weird. Now it's weird for me. It was weird for you earlier. Now it's weird this for isn't me. Hannibal. <laughs> no. Silence of the Lamb going on here. <laughs> Anyways, speaking of which, Silence of the Lamb. Then there's these other women. Uh, who show up who are like scary looking and their hair is all a mess and everything. Um, and they take off, of, you know, those stones we talked about earlier that just couldn't get purified to get put back in the tower. Uh, they take those away. These four women are, categor- are explained as unbelief, inconsistencies, disobedience, and deceit. So just understanding, like, if you clothe yourselves in those things, you're not going to enter into the kingdom. I do appreciate that it's only four. Yeah. Because like really being able to hone in like these are dangerous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like get away from those. Yeah. And you would think about like, it always baffles me when we go into like, and the spirit of uh, God is this, but the spirit of flesh is this, that it doesn't really get into like some really outlandishly heinous things. A lot of times they kind of simplify it with like unbelief, disobedience, and deceit. Because like you said, those things eventually lead to all those bigger things. So that was cool to me. Uh, then there's the breakdown of the 12 mountains, which I don't know if we need to get into. A lot of it is just very much the same. Some of it's the uh, blasphemers. Some of it's hi- uh, hypocrites. Some of it's false teachers. Some of it is wealth and finances. Uh, some of these mountains are uh, teachers and prophets and uh, apostles. I think that's the water one because out of them is flowing water for life for everyone. Uh, So it's just, again, it hits to me, it was hitting the same notes over and over again. But there was 
one thing that I really liked in here. I just got to find it real quick. Yeah, here it is. If our God and Lord who rules over all things and has power over all his creation does not remember evil against those who confess their sins, but is merciful, how does man who is corruptible and full of sin remember evil against a fellow man as if he were able to destroy or save him? And it was just talking about like having an unforgiveness at the time. And I just thought, man, that's so powerful. Like if God is able to do that, why aren't we doing that? Uh, that one just stood out to me as as I was reading through uh, a lot of this. Um, but the one thing uh, com- with the two parables, the willow tree and this one, mm-hmm. is just seeing God's mercy and compassion of like, I think even at one point, and I don't remember which one it is, the shepherd says, God wants all of his people to enter the tower or be part of the kingdom. Like he doesn't want them not to. And and that just echoes a lot of what you hear in the Bible too. It's not that God created hell for us as people. Like as we went through Enoch, that was created for a specific yeah. thing. But then you go back to like how these parables kind of connect where you got the punishing shepherd. It's, you know, he's using sometimes these things in our lives that don't seem great to get us to repent and come back to him. I just wanted to bring out, because as you were talking about, what highlighted for you is God's you know, mercy and grace and wanting all to come in. When it was talking about all those different mountains, it did say the first mountain was black and those ones were rebels and blasphemers against mm-hmm. the Lord, betrayers of the servants of God. It says for these, there's no repentance, but there's death. But everything else, it like there's repentance for them. Yeah. Like yeah. everything else, there's repentance. On everyone on the other mountains, there's repentance opportunity. Even was like... um. For them, it can be hard for them to enter the kingdom of God. Like it's just like it's difficult to walk on briars with bare feet. So it is also difficult for these men to enter the kingdom of God. But for all these, repentance is possible, but it must be speedy, right? So it's like it is there, but you got you got to take the chance to do it. But just that part, because it's a few times where it got called out that there's no repentance for these people or these mm-hmm. sheep that got separated; those are for death. It kind of gives a little bit of context where John is talking about the sin that leads to death and you shouldn't yeah you shouldn't pray for such a person mm-hmm. or that there is the blaspheming of the holy spirit and that one's not for, forgivable yeah this one for the black mountain did say blasphemers mm-hmm. so that that part is there so again just more context behind some of these things and when we get into like blasphemers because a lot of times that people are going to think that's on what we say about god um, because even throughout it, it used a lot of that bear his, the son's name language. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not really about so much what we say. It's about what we do and how we live. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think the important part. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Watch all my sin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the last parable really is just like the angel coming to him and saying, Hey, if you do good, you keep the commands. Um, you'll be able to, to walk away from the evil. You'll be able to put it aside, the sins and all that stuff. Um, but it kind of just hits with do good work at the end, like do the good work that you know you're supposed to do. Um, and that is the parables really in a nutshell for me. Um, and the shepherd of Hermas, I thought it was really good. It was scary and challenging when I first read it a lot like Enoch, but as I got into this and really seeing the depths of what it's presenting, uh, you're seeing what the Christians were really thinking about wealth, pursuit of it. Uh, living in luxury like the Romans, that's not the life for us. What's the life for us? Being obedient to God's commands, following what he's asked us to do, uh, giving to the needy, 
and, and doing things with the right motives and with the right intentions. Um, because ultimately there is this final end, there is this final judgment and where you go really depends on what you do with God's word. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was really cool. Again, not in the Bible, but man, I could see why this was so popular. I think when we started, I was like, why is this so popular in the, in the time it was. Mm -hmm. And when I got done reading, especially this part, I was like, nah, I get it. This is why I really like that. Yeah. The, the end part there with the parables. Um, yeah, I also think that it was so popular in addition to those things that you were just saying is the shepherd, right? Mm-hmm. He identifies, and I think he identifies again in this ending section as being the shepherd of repentance. And just given how people were feeling about like, is there repentance after yeah. baptism and like what all of that looks like and everything. And for this book to come in so heavy with, oh, this twig looks dead. Go and put living water on it. See if we can revive mm-hmm. it. Oh, that stone doesn't fit. Here, clothe it and see if we could shape it right. Like just over and over and over again of, no, let's bring them in. Yeah. And just, I really feel like that it was a very much expansion on God saying, I'm not willing that any should perish. Yeah. Yeah. But that all should come yeah. to eternal life. I really feel like this is just an, a great visionary expansion of that concept. Mm-hmm. I still think some of it's really long and scary and hard to understand. <laughs> I do appreciate it. This is maybe only the third time that I've really read through it like yeah. this. I don't know when the next time will be. Yeah. I do enjoy it, but it's just good to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is. Yeah. It's good. Read it at least once in your life. That's what I will say. Yeah. Is like So much of the stuff, I know that when we went over these things, we left out so many of the details that would make it make sense. Please use the past few episodes of The Shepherd of Hermas as a supplement to you reading yeah. it. Yeah. You read it. You don't need to go and find the commentary or do the thing. Just like follow along with what we've said or if you've been taking notes or whatever, then apply that to what it is that you're reading. That's when it will make sense mm-hmm. Yeah, the most. Yeah. So this has been the Excluded Books of the Bible series. Oh, we're done? Yeah, we're done. We're done. Now we can go back into it's the Bible. 2023. Yeah. Now we'll jump into the Bible and see what's next for us. Awesome. And there's big news coming up. Yeah. We'll have some of that fun stuff coming up. So I'm Chris. I'm Jordan. We are your church friends. Thanks for listening.